Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Our gospel reading for today is John 17. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words that you gave to me I have given to them. And they have received them, and I and know the truth that I came for you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy and complete in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong in the world, just as I do not belong in the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. The The word word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks, Josh and Freya. You guys are the best. Uh, Welcome, everybody. The room. Facebook and YouTube. Uh, My name is Steve, and I'm the pastor here at Genesis. And this is the seventh Sunday of Eastertide. We've made it all the way through the season of Easter, where we celebrate 
the resurrection of Jesus in an ongoing incarnational way, not just as an event that happened 2,000 years ago, but as an event that keeps happening inside of us and around us as we look at our world, even as broken as it is. And when we arrive at the 17th chapter of John, which is what Freya and Josh just read, uh, Jesus turns his attention to God alone. Jesus is praying here. And we get a rare kind of vulnerable glimpse into the heart of Jesus, the human being, as he prays. We hear some of what he's passionate about. We see some of what he hopes for in his followers after he leaves. Uh, And I think that's worthy of notice because sometimes when you hear the scriptures read or when you read them, they sort of just, you know, you don't really think what's actually happening. Jesus is praying here and it's vulnerable and raw. In the previous three chapters, Jesus' attention was on his disciples. He was telling them uh, to not be afraid. He's going to be going away, but he's sending the Holy Spirit to be with them. But now it's right on God alone. And uh, Jesus makes this claim in verse 4. It's really fascinating. He says, I glorified you, God, on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. I glorified you by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Now glorify me with the glory I had in your presence before the world began. So let's do our first all play question. Those of you in the room, shout out your answers. Those of you who are online, use the chat. But all plays, if you're new around here, are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo, because God's voice is best heard in a symphony. Amen? It's much better when we can hear God's voice together. Here's the question. What do you notice about Jesus' statement that he had finished the work that God gave him to do? That's all play number one. What do you notice about this statement? I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Yes, Marnie, he did what he was supposed to do. And he's sort of now reflecting on it. The mission that God gave him, and he's basically saying, God, I did it. Mission accomplished. Yes. What else? What do you notice? John Powell noticed that wait a second, he's saying this before the Passion Week. So what does it mean that Jesus says, I have finished the work you gave me to do before he goes to the cross? You ever noticed that before? I have finished the work that you gave me. I mean, there is this one big event coming. But I have finished the work that you gave me to do. He says this before he goes to the cross. Anything else? People online, chime in using the chat. What do you notice? I have finished the work that you gave me to do. Now glorify me in your presence the way I was before the world began. What do you notice about that? 
Well, I noticed a couple things. One is Jesus in some way, not Jesus of Nazareth, but Jesus the Christ existed before the world began. Amen? Jesus of Nazareth was, was born, but Jesus the Christ existed before the creation of the world. So Christ, as Richard Rohr says, is not just Jesus' last name. <laughs> it's a function of who he is. The Christ is the animating, generating spirit of generativity that put things in motion in the beginning. And that, the spirit of Christ, is who animated Jesus, the human being. In verses 6 through 8 in John 17, and, and, and by the way, like, let's not move too quickly away from the fact that Jesus said he finished his work before he went to the cross. What are some comments on that? Overachiever! Thanks, Cassandra, yes! Overachiever! Does anyone, like, feel like you grew up thinking that really the only reason why Jesus came to the earth was to die on the cross? Right? And clearly, that was part of his mission. But there was an entire life that was meant to be a model for us about who, who God is and who the kingdom is. And we're going to get into that. So I just think that's a huge, huge noticing. Uh, Becky Patton from online says, God gave him something, didn't demand it. Ooh, God gave him a mission to do, but didn't demand that he do it. I love that. That's so good, Becky. Thank you. In verses 6 through 8, we read this. Jesus goes on in this prayer. I have made known your name to those you gave me from the world. He's talking to God, remember. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you've given me is from you. There's a lot of words here. But for the words you gave me, I've given them. And they've received them, and they know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So there's all this back and forth. You came, they were, they were yours, you gave them to me, I gave them your words, they received these words, all this back and forth. But the thing that I want to focus on for a second is this phrase, I have made known your name to them, Jesus says. I have made your name known. So I'll play question number two. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, I have made your name known? What do you think he meant by that? If you're online, answer through the chat. If you're in the room, shout it out. Remember, there's no uh, perfect answers. There's just answers that enable us to have more conversation. Um, and then I'm going to go back, as you're thinking about it, go back to TJ online about him finishing his work could Jesus maybe consider his work finished because of his heart posture of submission and service? Woo! Yes, like he knew what was going to happen, and given his character, there's no way anything could change it. Oh, I love that. Thank you, TJ. Thank you. Um, and then Becky, I think she's answering this one to make known his name. Becky says, is maybe an introduction to a relationship? Interesting. I've made your name known. I've introduced you. Nate, you got something? Right. So Nate is saying that the term father wasn't actually used for God very much in the first century. It really wasn't. And then Jesus, by, by 
you know, saying father, and the translation really is more like daddy or dada, Abba, uh, there was this intimacy that was uh, introduced, that Jesus introduced people to understanding about God, this intimacy. You can understand God like a dada or like an Abba, which I think is so great. Uh, Laura, he was making the verbiness of God tangible. Come on, Laura, verbiness. Remember when Moses asked God, who are you? God said, oh, I will be who I will be. The eternal verb. Sounds like a cheesy 80s ballad, doesn't it? The eternal verb. (laughs) Um, He was making the verbiness of God tangible. What else? What do you think Jesus meant when he said, I have made your name known? you, Hannah. Yes, Jesus is reminding these disciples, Hannah said, of the attributes and characteristics of God. This is who God is. This is what God does. And and Jesus is saying, I have made known to my followers that which God is. Anyone else? So good. Sorry, say it again. Yes, JC. He's caused this, you were going to say something else. He's caused disruption and? Yes. He brought a savior in himself that the world didn't even really know that they needed. And especially in a way that they didn't know that they needed it. Totally. Disruption. I love that. Anything else? Anyone else? So good. There's got to be more. Yeah, John. Yes. He, John said he didn't even really have to say much. Or he was more in who he was and sort of what he was naturally, what he did naturally. That's how Jesus revealed God to people. And I think so often we think we have to say something or preach something or present something when really uh, we, we sang about proclaiming the gospel earlier or we use it in our uh, call to worship. And that's so much more like who we are we say. Amen? It's so much more who we naturally are, even when we're not expecting, (laughs) even when we're sort of caught off guard. What what gets spilled out of us when we get bumped is who we are, and and that's that's when we show who we really are. Well, to make your name known, let's, Danny, we got to get, we got to get nerdy, right? So we're going to go Greek. We're going to go Greek here because it was written in the Greek. Uh, and this, this great word to make your name known is phanerao. Woo! Phanerao. Sounds a little bit weird. But it means to make manifest or visible what has been hidden or unknown. And so really, I think what we all have said, I'm going to encapsulate it into maybe a statement. God sent Jesus to show humanity what God is like. In other words, when we have questions about who God is or what God is like, we can look to Jesus to show us because God is Christ-like. Amen? When we have questions about who God is or what God does, 
we can look to Jesus because God is Christ-like. Now, this question should be in your mind if it isn't. (laughs) So let me plant it in there, a la Inception. If God is Christ-like, if God is Christ-like, then what are we to do with some of the violent pictures of God that we see elsewhere in the Bible? Because it's easy for me to say, like, God looks like Jesus, right? But then those of you who have grown up in the church or read your Bible more than once might say, hold on, though. (laughs) Like, there are some really weird passages in the Scriptures about what God who God is, and what God even commands God's children to do. So here's another all-play question. Uh, What pictures of God in the Bible seem to be the most un-Christ-like? What pictures of God in the Bible seem to be the most un-Christ-like? You can answer online. uh, You can answer in the room. You're like, wait a minute, we're in church. I mean, I might get zapped if I, if I say this you know, too loudly. Yeah, Hannah, sending plagues, God sends plagues, killing firstborn of Egypt. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of that kind of ordering the slaughter of people. What else? Yeah, pushing over the tables in the temple. That seems kind of violent. And he makes a whip. Like, what does he do with that whip? You know, he's like, is it Indiana Jones? Kind of, kind of, like, what is that? What else? Right, Kristen, when an entire family suffers the consequences of one person's sin. What about the poor woman who apparently turns into a pillar of salt just because as she's running away from the city as she was supposed to do, she just takes one look back, pillar of salt. That seems a little, a little passive aggressive, don't you think? What else? Wandering in the desert for 40 years and they were so close. Thanks, Cassandra. Um, Okay, we're, (laughs) we got a lot coming in online. So um, the whole story of Noah, (laughs) thanks TJ, 100%. What do we do with that story? And why do we teach that story to our kids all the time? Like, why is that the number one Sunday school story? Because it has cute animals in it. Whew. Genocide is a tough one for me, Maddie Johnson. Yes, when God orders the genocide of certain people, according to the Bible. Um, Laura, <laughs> this is a direct quote from God, from Laura. You piss me off, I kill you. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Laura. Okay, and then from Christine, when God tells people to wipe out other people groups, yes, genocide. What else? Oh, anything else? Maddie Johnson, kill your child to prove your devotion to me is also not a great look. (laughs) Not a great look. Okay, well... uh, God requires the death penalty for things like sacrificing to other gods. God frequently punishes her people and gets angry a lot in the Bible. 
God commands the children of Israel to commit genocide, as we've seen. So the question is, what are we to do with that, really? Like, what do we do with that? And the reason why I'm getting at this is because I don't want to be one of those pastors who just says, God is Christ-like, and then ignore the questions that have to come up, these tough questions. Let's wrestle with them. So I think there's at least two possibilities to solve this problem of what do we do with a God portrayed in the uh, primarily Old Testament, but not just Old Testament, that seems to be unlike Christ. Uh, and this is from Jonah. Only God knows how many poor lambs. Oh, man, yeah. Whew. Had to be sacrificed, right? How many poor lambs had to be sacrificed? Um, so two possible ways to solve this problem. Number one uh, option is the sort of God's ways are not our ways option. And in this one, it, you see the Bible as having, if, if you see the Bible as having been dictated by God word for word, then I think you have to accept that God actually did command these things and did do these things. If you take the Bible as being dictated by God word for word to human beings, then you have to accept that God actually did command those things and did do those things. You have to find a way to accept that. And the way that you might do that is to say, God had to put an end to the horrific violence that was happening. And the only way to do it was to end certain people groups. Um, or, you, you know, you may say uh, that, that uh, God has the authority. And who are we to question that authority? God ultimately must know what's best. But I think when you, when you, uh, when you have that solution, you have to also see that this continues, this idea continues across history outside of the Bible. This way of saying, like, I'm going to use violence to keep perpetuating an idea, whether it's for God or not. And uh, November 27th, 1095. Everybody remember what happened on November 27th, 1095? Of course you do. It was the day that Pope Urban II gave a speech calling for all Christians in Europe to go to war against Muslims in order to reclaim Jerusalem. And he declared that this was God's will. And he even went so far as to say, if you join this fight, then I, as the Pope, will proclaim you free from sin, and you can die knowing that you'll go with God. And that started the what? The Crusades, which ended with, in the bloody murder of innocents. Um, in the Bible, this time in the New Testament, it says, slaves obey your masters. Of course, Christian, good Christian slave owners in the South uh, use that Bible verse to keep perpetuating the wrong idea of slavery. Um, Nazi belt buckles, apparently Nazis made belt buckles. I didn't know this until this week. Nazis made belt buckles that said, God is with us. And you know what? They believed it. Uh, women, be silent in the church. Now, in our church, we don't operate according to that, but the Southern Baptist Convention does. It still says that women shouldn't preach or lead or be pastors in 2021. So it's far too easy to invoke God's name in the pursuit of violence, bloodshed, and war, is it not? I think that's part of like when you, if you say absolutely the Bible is dictated word for word, the from God to humans, then there's just a lot of problems that, that start um, being unsolvable. 
So I want to suggest, of course, there has to be another way, that there is another way to solve the problem of the violent God we see in the Old Testament. And that is the, the Bible is inspired by God, but written by humans. Tack. And in this way, you can accept that the Bible is divinely inspired, but also accept that it was written by human beings who were limited to their cultural understanding of God. So when you have a Bronze Age person writing about uh, God in the Bronze Age, we shouldn't be all that shocked when we read that God commanded us to slaughter these people. It's possible that God did, but according to this way of understanding what the scriptures are, it's also possible that this is their best guess at trying to solve what really happened here. But it doesn't necessarily mean that God really did order the slaughter of those people. Biblical authors are representing what they believed about God rather than what God was actually inspiring them to say. Now that, that makes you go like, whoa, 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 whoa. Does that raise for you? If you interpret the Bible that way, you can use the chat if you're online or you can shout it out if you're in the room. What questions does that raise for you? Yeah, Dan, how do we know what's from God and what's from human beings? Exactly. How do we know? By the way, parenthetical note, part of why we need to get together and try to figure it out together rather than just have one person tell you. What else? Questions or comments about this idea that what if the Bible is divinely inspired, but also it's, some people call it a progressive revelation, that we, we find out more and more and more about God as it moves on toward Jesus. What questions or comments does that raise for you? Yes, Cassandra, how are we interpreting it now in our lens, through our lens, which we are, we have a lens, right? How do we, how, and, and, and what are we missing? I'm going to catch up online. Jenny asks, is anything believable about God in the scripture? What a good question. Uh, Rexanne, exactly. Why aren't we midrashing more? Yes, yes, yes. L Laura just shakes the foundation of everything I was taught ever. No biggie. <laughs> But listen, if, if, if God is mystery, like we say God is, and if God is, which means God is endlessly knowable, not God is unknowable, God is endlessly knowable, why would we even pretend to believe that we got it right the first time or that they got it right the first time? And, and why is faith so tied to having an ironclad version of who God is, so that we can be proud of that, right? Isn't it about something maybe bigger than being ironclad? What else? Comments, questions? Yes, Enoch, it makes me feel like I, had a, I have a whole lot more to learn than I thought. And isn't that a great... Did I just cut out? Okay. Uh, isn't that a great place? I mean, it's a hard place to be, but it's a great place to be. Uh, catching up online. How could the plagues happen supernaturally without God's approval? 
Good question. I can't answer it, TJ, but good question. Just parenthetically, when you read the Bible like this, it's not saying nothing happened according to the way it actually happened. It's just saying you have to look at it with a little bit more of a critical lens. Becky, if it's, if it's the living word of God, then it was living then for them. And it can be living now. Can we have the same freedom to disbelieve something that's inconsistent with the nature of Jesus that is revealed? Yeah, like if you look at the Bible as, now remember, Jesus is the word of God, amen? I mean, that's what the Bible says about Jesus. So don't, don't take my word for it. The Bible is not God. Can we all agree on that one? Bible's not God, but man, we, we get all nervous about it because we've treated it like it was the fourth member of the Trinity. <laughs> Trinity has a limit. Three members, that's it. It's all you get in the Trinity, just three. You can't add a fourth. Uh, Ann Abbey says it makes some room for the gray areas, which makes many uncomfortable, yeah. But here's what it does too, because it, it can't mean that we make the Bible say whatever we want it to say. Now, we do that anyway. Can we all just admit that? Everyone needs to like raise their right hand and say, I make the Bible say whatever I want it to say. We all do it, mass confession. But part of that is like, we were raised in a certain way, and, and we have a certain context and culture, just like the Bible writers did. So, of course, we do. So, as long as you know that, then you can carry it with a little more humility. Amen? But there is still something I think we need to do, a move we need to make. Because I don't think it, this view of the Bible as humanly written but divinely inspired means that you just get to believe whatever you want to believe. Because that's just as bad as the other way. So Jesus says this in John 17, 15 through 19. I'm not asking you, to take them, his disciples, out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Now sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now again, that word there, that doesn't mean the Bible. That, that means the, what issues forth from God's mouth. And by the way, what issued forth from God that Jesus is talking about here? Yes. <laughs> So Jesus is the word that issued forth from God's mouth. Jesus is also the truth in which the disciples need to be sanctified. And as you've sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their, their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is tough. But here's the deal. When, when Jesus says, my followers do not belong to the world, what does he mean? My followers don't belong to the world. Say it louder. They belong to him. Yes, JC. What else? My followers don't belong to the world. Is he putting them over and against the world? Sounds like it, doesn't it? So think of the world as the system. The system of quid pro quo, of scarcity, where those in power take every piece of the pie and oppress those who don't get it. The system that uses religion for your own gain. Jesus says, my followers, and I'm, I'm, I don't belong to that system. 
In fact, I belong to the system that gives up our lives for others, that becomes a scapegoat in order to end scapegoating for all time. That's what Jesus says and does all throughout his life. And that's why Jesus is so compassionate toward people who are oppressed and left out and so hard on people like us who fall into the religious elite category because we tend to be so blind about the privileges we carry and about the answers that we claim to have. My followers don't belong to that system where there's only eight pieces of pizza and the most powerful get them all. My followers, as he said earlier, love and serve like I did. Um, Becky says this, I have made your name known to them. Is the word being made known to us and through relationships? It can be about continuing to know God and not a theological system. I think, me included, but when we pledge allegiance to a theological system and structure, we are over and against a person, Jesus, who makes known to us, present tense, who keeps making known to us God. If we pledge allegiance to a theological system, that's when we end up missing the point and excluding. Amen? So that's why it's important to look at the Bible with reverence and awe. And like it just creates so many great conversations, right? And it does reveal who God is, but maybe not in the way that we thought. That's why it takes all of us in conversation together to keep figuring out who God is and what God does. But I do think that when you have a question about, is God like that? We can say, do we see it in Jesus? And if we don't see it in Jesus, then we do not have any claim to make that it is true about God. That's a Christocentric view of God. So, final comments, questions, or thoughts before we move on to the prayers of confession. Questions, comments, or thoughts, both in the room and online. Nate, how do we live that now? What a great comment to give. Right? But I would argue that number one, we hold very um, lightly everything except for just the very central core convictions. And we don't allow ourselves to get so lost in endless debate. Right? That, 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 and we believe that we might not see it all. So we're asking, we keep asking the questions, what I know? What can't I see? What more do I need to understand? What else? Final comments, questions, thoughts?
Yeah, thanks, John. You just you have to approach Scripture with humility. You know, and this is where I, I love Jewish, the, the Jewish rabbis and thought leaders that they, they could debate back and forth so much because they had a view that I can't possibly know all there is to know about God. So I need to keep asking, keep questioning, keep debating. You know, and that's, and that's why Midrash came up, and that's why the Talmud is there. And it just is the, you know, the, the story of these debates that happen back and forth between thought leaders. You know, I think if we operate a little bit more like that, we would have more humility and we would get a little farther in who God is. Well, we're out of time, so we're going to move on to the prayers of confession. By, but I encourage you to keep having this conversation that there's a way of elevating your view of Scripture. I think if you take these questions and thoughts into consideration, making it be literally, absolutely, positively true, every, every jot and tittle, I think is a, is a foundational view, but it's a pretty low view. Scripture is much bigger than that. It's much better than that, actually. So let's keep the conversation happening. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.